You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat this morning. Turn with me to, in your Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 7. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to the end of the chapter today. If you don't have a Bible, just stick your hand up. One of our, uh, one of our ushers will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. You ever been in that place where you're just overwhelmed with emotion and maybe overpowered by circumstances, maybe overrun with concern for somebody else. You're just in that place where you just know that, man, I desperately need God. Ever been there? Maybe like me, when I get to that place, I end up kind of laying on a floor somewhere, calling out to God, feeling like your insides are being pulling out, pulled out your belly button, just saying, God, I need you. God, if you don't show up, I'm finished. Lord, now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. God, I need you now. Can you relate? We all can, right? If we've been in that place, we understand a little bit about the desperation that God wants us to have for him. Not to try and figure things out on our own, not to try and, and, and help somebody else figure it out, but do we, we know the desperation that God wants us to have for him. Also, if you've been in that place, you also know this, that when you finally get to that place, when you finally humble yourself and call out to God with, with true desperation, we find this, that God in his mercy always hears those pleas that God in his grace rushes to the one who is desperate for him. If you've been in that place, you'll understand a a lot the reality of the two people we're going to understand here this morning from Scripture. You're going to understand the Syrophoenician woman and the man who is deaf. And let me read this passage to you. Let's let's not just understand the desperation of the people, but let's understand also the reality of, of God and how God interacts with those who are truly desperate for him. I think a lot of times in our in our busyness of life and all the concerns of the world, here's the reality. We lose our desperation for God. In the sense of losing our desperation from God, we don't look for God, and then we don't see God interacting in our lives the way we long for him to do. I propose this from the text this morning, that, that we need to re- rekindle that desperation from God that maybe we never had, or maybe we had and we've lost, but we need a desperation for God to truly see the fullness of how God wants us to see him this morning. So let me read this for you, and then let's just unpack it verse by verse and understand all that God has for us. Uh, The Syrophoenician woman's faith, verse 24 of chapter 7. And from there, from Capernaum, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered, this he being Jesus, entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for the statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Another miracle of Jesus. 
Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looked up to heaven. He sighed, and he said, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. I know by this time in the book of Mark, we've kind of almost got to the place where we're like, oh, another miracle of Jesus, la-di-da-di-da. And sometimes we can get to that place and miss out on the full reality of what God wants to teach us. Remember, all scripture is God-breathed and every story in here, whether it seems repetitive or not, is for a purpose for us to understand more clearly the reality of Jesus and how he wants to interact in our lives. So this isn't just some more miracles. This is something that God wants to teach us today more about himself. And I think God wants us to teach us this today as we look at more miracles. If you read these stories and think about them, you'll realize this. Man, that is unbelievable what Jesus keeps doing in people's lives. Amen? Like the reality of Jesus just never quits in people's lives. I think Jesus wants us to understand this, that Jesus never quits working in miraculous ways, not just in somebody else's life, but in my life. And we ought to never lose hope that God's not done working miracles in me and around me yet. God's not done yet. God's not done yet. Maybe some of you need to hear, come here this morning to hear that message because, man, you feel like God's forgotten you and God's abandoned you and you've been praying and praying and praying and, and you're sure this time God's not going to answer your prayers. Let me say it again before we get into the text. God is not done and never will be done working miracles in our lives that we could see more clearly Jesus. And in this text, we see this about Jesus Christ. We see this. We see his mercy that is simply off the charts. Mercy being compassion and kindness is a subset of grace. Grace being compassion and kindness that gives us something. This is the compassion and kindness of Jesus working out in desperate times in two people's lives. And so we understand this from the text. Again, here's how we're going to work through the passage today. We're going to look, look at just the, the, the theology of it and then the personal application at the end. And so here's the theology of it. You see Jesus. Jesus' mercy is is off the charts. Jesus' mercy is off the charts. Here we see again uh, the popularity of Jesus and the opposition of Jesus forcing him to leave the place he is and go somewhere else for, for a break, for some discipleship time with, the, uh, with his disciples, for just some, some um, R&R, maybe to reflect on ministry. Uh, but we see the, the popularity of Jesus and the hostility of, of Herod Antipas just pushing Jesus beyond where he is to somewhere else. This is the first time in Mark we see Jesus leaving the Israeli territory, leaving Israel. Israel and going into Gentile territories is significant. Everything we've seen thus far, remember Jesus came first and foremost for the, the Jewish people, God's people. Now we see him actually venturing beyond that for reasons we don't know, uh, but we're going to see has some really strong implications for uh, our lives and for others. But we see Jesus leaving and going into Gentile territory. Remember what he just finished teaching last week about clean and unclean? 
The Jewish people are thinking all the unclean stuff's on the outside, right? It's the Gentiles. It's, it's the, 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 the contamination they bring into my house. And Jesus is saying, it's not that. That's not what defiles you before God. It's what's on the inside. And now he's practically going outside of the Jewish territory to the unclean Gentiles, taking that lesson a step further. Why would Jesus leave the Jewish territory to teach them that his mercy extends beyond just the Jews, but it goes to the dirty old Gentiles at the same time. And so Jesus is going to Tyre and Sidon in this text, 30 miles uh, northwest uh, of where Capernaum was. And uh, immediately when he gets there, he's thinking he's going to get some quiet rest and relaxation, but his fame precedes him. News have it all over the place. The paparazzi are putting the tweets out. And so as soon as he gets there, this on the door. Can you imagine Jesus? Like, I can't even like leave the territory and get some peace and quiet, and this woman walks in, and he's with his disciples. This woman walks in, and she is in a desperate place. Uh, Notice this. Jesus can't even get away for a little while. His fame goes before him and comes after him. It's the same thing in our life. We'll never silence Jesus. We'll never get away from the place where you stop hearing about Jesus Christ. People might try and silence him. The government might run him out, but guess what? The name of Jesus will always be prominent and prevalent because he is the Son of God. Same thing that's happening here. And so this lady comes and she has a, woman, has a daughter who has an unclean spirit. No mention of her husband. Uh, probably she's a widow lady. And so she's, again, probably cast out by society. She's in this desperate place. She comes and notice what she does. She falls at the feet of Jesus. Already if you're a Jew, you're reading this and you're like, oh my goodness, this is such an odd scenario. This isn't right. This is unclean. Uh, how can a Gentile be anywhere near a rabbi or a Jewish leader. Not only were women considered inferior to men, but this lady, this Syrophoenician, it's important that they say that. It's showing where she came from. She is the Gentile of Gentiles. In other words, she came from this place where she is Gentile by birth. She's Gentile by culture. She's Gentile by religion. Everything about her screams, Jesus, run away. Even in the Matthew account, the disciples are like, Jesus, we don't have time for this lady. We have Official God business to do. We're on mission. Interesting too to note in this that this is the exact same region that Elijah was in when he ministered to the heathen widow in First Kings chapter seventeen verses nine. Remember that story, showing that, that that God cares for the least of these and the widows. This is the same region where the woman, where Elijah said, "Hey, can you give me some bread and some flour?" She's like, "I don't have any left." But I'll give you what I have. And Elijah said, if you give it to me, I promise you that you won't ever run out again. Remember that miracle? This is the same place to the same type of woman, which is interesting. Elijah was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And so Elijah then provided this woman with a jug of oil and a jar of flour that were never spent. This is Jesus now meeting not just physical needs, but spiritual needs now. Elijah pointing to the greater Elijah, Jesus Christ. And this woman is desperate. Her little girl has a demon Within her, an unclean spirit. We've already heard a few sermons on this before, so I'm not going to rehash that. If you've wanted to hear about demons and the supernatural, you can go back and listen to some of those previous sermons. But this is what we want to get to. This woman is simply in a place where she has nowhere to turn, and she's got no other options. And so she comes, and what does she do? She doesn't just passively ask Jesus. She throws herself at the feet of Jesus in utter desperation, her little girl, we learn from Scripture, is probably one of those who's convulsing at times and drawn to fire and drawn to throw herself in 
beds of water, almost trying to kill herself. Can you imagine if you're a parent and that's your child? How you'd be desperate for Jesus Christ? Notice the difference between this Gentile, unspiritual, unclean, throwaway woman compared to the Pharisees. They come and they're kind of trying to stand over Jesus. Oh yeah, prove yourself, Jesus. Prove it. Who do you think you are, Jesus? She comes in, she's like, who do I think I am? I'm in the presence of the living God. She throws herself at the feet of Jesus. And Matthew records this. Mark doesn't, but Matthew records this. She actually refers to him as Lord. She's the messianic title of the Son of Man. And she simply says this in Matthew, have mercy on me. You don't know who I am. I've got no rights here. Have mercy on me. No previous interactions with Jesus. No formal teaching. And yet she's showing us what it is to really pray. What a difference between our Sunday school prayers and this woman, hey? Or before dinner prayers. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. Blessed is my body. In Jesus' name, amen. It's sort of the general, right? Or Sunday school prayers. Jesus, be with me. Be with grandpa and grandma and aunts and uncles and cousins too. And as Nikki says, be with the whole, 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 whole world. It's a different type of coming before the Lord than maybe some of us have been in a long time. But it's a true reality how God wants us to come to him, how Jesus wants us to come to him with a, an earnestness and a desperation. And so here's this lady bowing before Jesus. And notice Jesus' response. It's sort of odd, isn't it? You think Jesus in his mercy would come and he would like jump down off his seat and he's got the disciples in one ear and then he says to her this, and this seems like a bit of a slap on the back of the, a bit of a backhanded slap to her. He's almost like he's degrading her. First time I read this, I'm like, what in the world's going on here? He said to her, let the little children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's breads and throw it to the dogs. Jesus in the same room as my mom, she'd be like, now that's not polite. Watch your mouth and how you treat ladies. Doesn't it seem a little odd at first? It just seems like, doesn't Jesus care? Like, like for some of us, you know, we heard, read this and you like, like our culture today, like, you know, preacher says one thing and you take it out of context and you like label him as like a, a heretic or something and you're like, he shouldn't be preaching and he, next thing you know, he's in the unemployment line. DQ'd. Honestly, if this was in our day, this might have happened, but let me, let me release you from the burden of misunderstanding and help you understand what Jesus is saying. It's not an insult at all. He's not, he's not belittling her. He's not bemoaning what she's saying. It, it, it's so hard to understand some theologians debate about what he's really trying to say. Some think he's simply just trying to talk about ministry and saying, hey, look, the disciples are my children and I'm busy with them right now and so you'll get your turn, just not now. And so, and so you don't, you know, I'm giving the, the food to the disciples and that's just not it, though. That's a misinterpretation for sure. Some, some say he's quoting a proverb and he's really just showing them the, the reality of how Jews actually thought about Gentiles. In our day and age, we hold puppies kind of close, right? They're on the screen and like, oh, puppies. We have little save the puppy campaigns because they're so worth it, right? Forget about children. But puppies, they mean something. Backwards. But in this time, like puppies, dogs, weren't anything that was uh, 
positive. Have you ever been overseas and seen the dogs that roam around overseas, Mexico or Nicaragua or Ecuador? Man, they're mangy little mutts. They're dirty. They're scavengers. We were in Mexico or in Ecuador, and this little dog would run around the the, uh, the neighborhood and all painted because the kids would paint them and mistreat them. Mangy little. That, that's how the Jewish people treated the Gentile people. And so, really, Jesus reminding her that, hey, like, like, like I'm a Jew, and you're a Gentile, but even in that, he softens the word dog. And he uses puppy. The actual word here is puppy. He's taking a proverb and he's like, this is how we're supposed to be interacting. Like, you're from the other side of the tracks. You shouldn't be in the room with me. You do realize that, helping to realize the significance of what's happening here. But he actually softens it and he goes, the little puppy, you know, instead of a dog, because they did have household pets back then as well. And even more than that, theologically, he's reminding her, like, hey, my first mission, as it says in Matthew 15, my first mission is a household of the Jews. Like, I am here predominantly on God's mission for the Jewish people to show them the Messiah. Gentiles, you're going to enter into this, but you're not quite yet. It's not yet ready for the Gentiles to come in. Do you not understand this, lady? Like, this is an odd, it's odd, isn't it? It's almost like he's like, yeah, you're second. But notice, he treats you with utmost respect, and he's actually not degrading her. He's just reminding her of, hey, this is a big deal. And I'm about to do something in this that's going to blow not just your mind, but everybody else's mind to the mercy of the, re- the reality, the mercy of my character. Obviously, it wasn't that insulting to the lady which Jesus didn't mean it to be an insult. Again, just bringing out the theological truth and helping her understand the whole Jew-Gentile divide, which she probably already got, and just setting it up for like, wow, this is an, not a normal scenario. But she answered him. She didn't take offense to that. She answered him and said, yes, Lord. But going with his puppy, softening the dogs to puppy, she said, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. But even the household pets Get a crumb of the food. Our household pet sits under Nick's seat. Because Nick accidentally, accidentally drops it under the table. Oops, he got my hot dog. She's saying, yes, Lord, I get all the racial things. I get all the theological things. But isn't it true that even the puppies get at least a little crumb? Can I just have a crumb of the mercy of God? I know I don't deserve it. I know I shouldn't be in this room right now, but can I just have a crumb of the mercy of God? Just a crumb of the food coming off your table? Leave it to a parent, hey, to not be bashful and asking God for the miracle of all miracles. Jesus, because of her faith, because of her faith, because of her humility, because of her urgency and her high view of God and her low view of herself, says this to her. I think maybe with a wink. Because he had every intention of hearing her. He wanted to maybe teach the disciples and teach us a little bit about faith and a little bit about his mercy in the process of maybe lingering for an extra second. He said this to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon absolutely gone. Amazing. Mercy of Jesus now is 
leaving the region of Israel and going to the Gentiles. Aren't we grateful for that, Gentile brothers and sisters? So much theological significance we're unpacking in a second here, but, but also understand this, that Jesus then leaves from there, and his touch is not just a, a, a broad touch. His touch then shows us the mercy of Jesus, how it gets up close and personal in our lives. It's not just an off-the-chart mercy that Jesus has. He then gets up close and personal. Jesus heals a deaf man. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, uh, to the region of the uh, Decapolis. So this guy's friends are bringing him to Jesus, this guy who is deaf and had a speech impediment. The two generally travel together, right? Uh, you have a hearing problem. You can't speak very well because you can't understand and, and you can't speak. And so look at it again. They begged him. Notice it's people in this text. It's people begging Jesus for somebody else, not even for themselves, for somebody else. They beg Jesus. It's a, it's a present verb that talks about keeps on begging and keeps on begging until they get the answer that they're looking for, I guess. They're not going to quit until Jesus answered. And they took him to Jesus to lay hands on him. And so he took them aside from the crowd. And remember how he just healed this woman's daughter in the first part of this text. This time he goes to all these little, almost like shenanigans, eh? Like, what's, the, what's with the show, Jesus? And he gives the guy a couple wet, double wet willies and looks to the heavens and calls the heavens open and you're like, what is going on here? Why is this the big show? Like, Jesus just says, be gone in one text. In the other text, he says, like, this great big, like, spitting all over the place and sticking fingers and ears and looking at the heavens. Like, what's going on? It's really not a show at all. It's Jesus showing how up close and personal he is to this man. And back in this time, again, disabilities were considered curses of God. And people probably didn't have anything to do with this deaf man except for his family and friends. And, and so he's ostracized. They bring him to Jesus. And they're wondering, is this, is this guy going to heal him again? This man's probably a Gentile. Is this, is this Jesus guy going to heal this guy? And instead of just saying, hey, it's gone, Jesus is like, you know what? I don't only really see you. I care about you. And it's almost like he gets down on his knees and he, and he comes and he touches his ears. Remember, the guy can't hear. So to him to say it's gone is going to mean nothing to the guy because he can't hear. So he's actually showing him exactly what he's going to do in his life. And he's, he's actually pointing to the reality that with God, he's going to heal him. And so saliva back in that day was a healing agent. So he spits on his fingers to show him you know, the healing agent, and he touches his ears. Guy's getting a clear message. He's going he's gonna to heal me. And then he looks up to the heavens, showing him that, hey, I'm not healing on my own accord. I'm healing to, to the heavens. And he says, be opened. And not that he can hear, but he can probably see his lips. And in there, there's a sigh. What's the sigh? It's not like a, ugh. Another healing I have to do. It's a sigh of compassion. Can you picture the compassionate eyes of Jesus? I'm hearing you. I'm seeing you. I'm feeling for you. And I'm going to do something about this. And as he said, it is opened. All of a sudden it was opened. And the miracle just isn't that the guy could hear and then could speak plainly. He could understand language and he could communicate language, and there's a whole lot of miracles going on here. We don't know if this guy was deaf from birth or, or it happened a little later on, but, but we, you can't just learn to speak like that. You can't, just, you can't just understand language like that if you've never heard before. And so this, all of a sudden, this guy's completely 100% healed. Jesus, up close and personal, up close and personal shows the caring, merciful nature of of God and shows that he is connected with the pain of the individual. 
interesting to note here, the one, the word, when he says this guy is deaf and could hardly talk, it's one word in the original language that's only used one other time in all of scriptures. It's the word moglilalos. And it's only used one other time in Scripture in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, where Isaiah is prophesying when the Messiah comes, uh, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so really what Jesus is showing him is, I am the Messiah I am the prophesied about Messiah who's come to do everything that Isaiah prophesied I would do. And then Jesus sends him along, and like he always does, he says, hey, don't tell anyone this. You're like, why would someone not want to tell someone else about a miracle? Because Jesus knew it would overwhelm him and overrun him and keep him from doing what he came to do. Remember what he came to do is preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the people will be coming to him and they want the show and not the reality of the true Christ. He says, don't tell anyone, but the more he tells them not to tell anyone, it's like when you tell your kids, don't tell a secret. I have a secret, I have a secret, but I can't tell it. The people go and they tell everybody and they tell them this, he has done all things well and they were astonished. And I think even the disciples probably astonished again because he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Again, sometimes you come to these texts and even as a preacher, you're like, well, now what more am I going to say about this? I've already covered healing a lot. I've already covered demon possession a lot. What more am I going to say about this? Why does God tell us this again? We get it, we get it, we get it. But let me ask you this. Do we really get that Jesus is a God of miracles who loves us and is up close and personal to us? Or do we possibly need to hear it again today? I don't know about you, but I'm a little dense. I like to think I'm pretty sharp, but there's so many times, and my wife can vouch for this, I need to hear it more than once. I think that's true when we come into these texts in our own lives. Don't skip them over, because I think God needs to teach us something not new about him, but to renew within us a hope that we have in the, simply the mercy of Jesus Christ. Jesus' mercy, as we look at these things, Jesus' mercy, it's all about Jesus' mercy. He offers us unending hope in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in this life. Here's the personal application for this that the Lord has shown us through his word. It's hope in a merciful God. It's unending hope in a merciful God. And I, I want to propose this this morning, that, that sometimes these texts just remind us of the simple reality that Jesus is never going to stop amazing me. Jesus is never going to stop amazing me. I hope as I helped you understand that, you weren't sitting there going like, I hope he's done soon. I hope you weren't sitting there going like, this is good for somebody else, but like, I'm way above this sermon right now and I know all this stuff and this means nothing to me. I hope your heart hasn't gotten to a place where you're not ready to be amazed by Jesus Christ once again. Isn't it easy to get there? You've been faith so long. You've heard all the stories. You've had God do some incredible things in your life. But yet somehow deep down the reality of Jesus gets cold and it gets, 
you get stale in your hearts. And so you go through all the motions, but deep down, you say you believe in the miracles of Jesus. You say you believe that Jesus can do anything. You, you say you believe Jesus is not done with you yet, but deep down, you really believe that Jesus is completely done with you in this life. There's nothing more to experience about him. There's nothing more to learn about him. And all the miracles of someone else are not for you. You ever got there? Ceasing to be amazed by the reality of Jesus. Let's be honest, you ever got there? Cold? Empty? No awe? Saying you're a Christian but almost living like Jesus is powerless in your life? I've been praying so long and I know he can, but I don't think he's any longer going to do anything in my marriage. I'm not expecting a miracle anymore in my job. It just is what it is. And this is just the boring, lame life that God's given me. You know, our church, we used to see all these things happening in our church. And I don't know anymore. You know, that's, that's the early days. And that was fun days. And that was awesome days. But anymore, like, I don't even pray for that stuff anymore. Because I think Jesus has simply just done amazing me. If anything, this text brings us to the simple reality that, man, we can't limit God. We can't box God up. We can't figure God out. Even just the time we think we've got God figured out, guess what? He's going to just blow us out of the water and do the same thing in a different way just to remind us how awesome he really is. You can't put parameters around God. He's not done with miracles in your life, in our church. We can't stop looking for Jesus power in our everyday realities. I think it's time for us, some of us, to be amazed by God again. To be filled with hope again that this is the same Jesus that I have. This is the same Jesus that can do anything in my life. Notice this as we looked up at the top here when Jesus went into the Gentile territory. He tried to hide, but, but he can't be hidden. Do, do you know this for your life, that Jesus can never be hidden from your life? You can try and shut him out. You can try and silence him. You can close your eyes and plug your ears. But you know what? Jesus is so powerful. If you're his and he is yours, he will never be shut out of your life. You can never, you can never leave him out. You can disqualify him. You can think he's over, but he will never, he will never be hidden in your life just like he couldn't be hidden to the Gentiles. He's always working, it says in John 5, 17, and he will never stop. This gives us so much hope. God's not done with me yet. John 5, 17, Jesus says this, my father is always working until now, and I am also working. You need to hear that this morning? Jesus is working and giving up some hope. Prayer's drying up. Belief wavering. Jesus has not done amazing you yet. And not only is he never going to ever be hidden from your life, here's the second thing in this, Jesus will never stop amazing me. His encounters will always be personal. I, I, I love the 
whole scriptures and how Jesus is just never cookie cutter in anything that he does. Sometimes we look for God to be cookie cutter and we're like, we're like, man, well, he did that in their lives. Why is he not doing that in my life? And, and I just want him to do it this way. And yet look at the creativity of Jesus. In every interaction, he's different with every single person. And this is how Jesus is going to interact in your life. He's going to interact in your life in a way that is up close and personal that you need him the most that you'll see his glory. Physical needs, Spiritual needs. Need a crumb of God's mercy today? Just a crumb? Lamentations 3.23 is mercies are new every morning and they're new for you. They're new in your life the way that you need them, not the way somebody else needs them or someone else's life. So often I think in our Christian faith, we get caught up in like, well, look what God's doing there. Look what God's doing there. He's not doing it in my life. He's not doing it in my life. God wants to be up close and personal in your life through his son Jesus. If you'll just call upon him, if you'll just look for him, if you'll believe and you'll receive the reality of the new mercies that Jesus promises every single morning. Please don't get to the place where you think your mercy account has been emptied. Just when you need another breakthrough, just when you need another miracle, God will come through as he always does. You know what I love the most about the connection cards that we have that we ask you to fill out every week? Yes, we love praying for you because we believe in the power of prayer. You know even more that I love about those cards? I love reading how the few of you put on there the answered prayers you get. That just inspires me and encourages me and, and, and keeps the, the, the hope going in my own heart. The stories of God at work reminds me that God's not done with you or I or us yet. In fact, just this week, I was talking to someone in our church, and um, for sake of um, embarrassing them, I won't say their names, but they came, uh, I heard through a third party that, that they've been praying for their kids for years and years, and this week, their eldest son finally received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So encouraging. Two more to go. But isn't it easy to give up? God's mercies aren't for me. It's not going to happen this time. We can't give up hope. We can't give up hope that Jesus will never stop amazing us. It fuels our faith. It fuels our prayers, this truth. It keeps us pursuing Jesus with all that we have and fighting the complacency that so, so easily creeps into our lives. Here's another thing about hope that we, often that we often forget that we need to understand from this text. Jesus' influence goes beyond my wildest expectations. Jesus' influence goes beyond my wildest expectations. Of all the people in the world that the Jews thought Jesus could never, ever save, of all the people in the world that the Jews thought that Jesus could never, ever work in their lives, it was the Gentiles, it was the dogs. Look what Jesus says to them. Through action. Don't limit me. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do. My influence will go beyond your wildest expectations. You ever heard of the organization Doctors Without Borders? We have a God without borders. 
He crosses all boundaries. No one's ever too below him or not spiritual enough for, for Jesus. Can never come from the wrong background or the wrong nationality for Jesus Christ. We tend to put people in categories, don't we? Don't we? Well, I know who Jesus is going to work in, so I'm going to pray for that person. And I know who, who's most likely to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, so I'm going to share Christ with that person. And yet, and yet, look who Jesus is going to. He's going to all the people that no one would ever expect. Jesus doesn't marginalize anybody. The scope of Jesus' ministry is unlimited. It's not just for middle class Caucasians, as some of us maybe think, wouldn't say, but maybe think. It's not just for the upper class who have something to offer. It's also not just the, 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 the poor and the marginalized, as other people think. It's, it's for absolutely everybody, every nationality, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're African or Asian or American, whether you're from the biggest territory of Russia or the smallest village in the remote jungles of Peru. Jesus' mercy extends to places we know prominently and those places we've never heard of before. Jesus' mercy flows everywhere, like the worldwide flood. Remember the flood? That's Jesus' mercy on the world. It just flows everywhere. There's not one part that's untouched by the mercy of Jesus Christ. All these debates about race and gender and all kinds of different things. Jesus died for everybody. Even in our culture, like, he died for me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Can I bust your bubble a little bit? It's not all about you. It's not all about me. Jesus came that his mercy might be seen by all. Who's the greatest missionary of the Bible? We wonder it's Jesus Christ. And notice where he went. He went to the least of these. He went to the places that nobody else would dare go. Sometimes in the darkness, that's where the light shines brightest. In the hardest places, the most uncomfortable places, that's where the light of Jesus shines the brightest. But we don't know that. You know why? Because we're just like the Jews and we're unwilling to go. It's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. It makes me uneasy. I'd rather be with this, the, the people that I associate with and I know that I'm comfortable with. And Jesus' example is we can't be content with that, brothers and sisters. We need to take the gospel where the gospel Anywhere the gospel will go. Whose responsibility is that? That's ours. We don't just pay missionaries to go to the hard places. That, that's our jobs. That, uh, hard places in the cafeteria, maybe. Hard places in the cafeteria where no other cool kids sit. Where all those who've been labeled sit over in the corner. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's your hard place where you think, well, God's not going to work there. Maybe that's the exact place Jesus wants to work. Maybe it's the hard place at work, and it's that boss that is so stubborn and so antagonistic, and he's just a rough and tough and I'll witness to anyone, but I'm not going to go there. Maybe that's the place that Jesus wants you to go. Maybe it's the neighbor that is the annoying neighbor that nobody likes. And so we're going to hang over here with these guys and leave that person to themselves. And maybe that's the hard place that you think God can't work in. That's the place that God wants you to go to so he can show you and amaze you that, that he, he died for that person too. I wonder sometimes if we get too comfortable. I wonder sometimes we get too comfortable 
And the one place that you're least likely to go is the one place that Jesus wants you to go. What is the least likely place you'd go? Who's, who's the person in your life right now that you're like, man, the gospel's not going to reach. The gospel's not going to reach. We all have one. Who is it? Think about it. What if that's the person that Jesus is saying, now go? Now go. Watch me amaze you. Now go. How can we write people off? How can we determine what God is going to do and what he's not going to do with our lives and in our lives and through our lives? How can we possibly do that? Especially given the reality that Jesus' grace reached me. The gospel reached me. Like that, That's the least likely place the gospel will go in my heart and your heart. Think of your own heart, your wicked old heart who you were before Christ and, and how you wanted nothing to do with him and you're going to be this good little person and do your own thing and live your own dream and that Jesus reached in and grabbed you and the gospel is because Jesus has changed me, man. There's no place I w- wouldn't go for the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus changed me, man. I need to share the gospel. I want to share the gospel. I can't keep this to myself. It's not just something God commands me to do. It's something I long to do and I need to do and I'm motivated and compelled to do for the glory of Jesus Christ. Why? Because his mercy is so showered upon me that his mercy leaks out of me everywhere I go. I don't know about you, but I kind of get bored with boundaries, don't you? Kind of like there's got to be more. This is all there is. We're so good at boxes, right? This is all there is. There's got to be more. Maybe the more for us is not more Bible knowledge. It's not more fellowship with believers. Maybe the more for us is taking some risks. Opening our mouths. Can't do it. Yes, you can. And believing that Jesus wants to use your life beyond all of the boundaries that you've placed for him and yourself in a way that's going to totally astound you. I'm not saying pack up and go to Africa. Maybe. But I'm saying right here, right now, 2020, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your job, when was the last time you were amazed by how Jesus used you for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's been a long time. Today's the data. Let's go. Let's go. Jesus came. Jesus came to unleash his compassion on the world, to unseal blind eyes, to unplug spiritual ears, ears to unloosen tied tongues, maybe even yours, held captive to Satan, maybe even to unleash streams of living water into everyone's soul. That's why Jesus came, which he's demonstrating so clearly through Mark chapter 7. And if this is true, then Jesus' presence propels my faith to new heights. This is the last application here. Jesus' presence should propel my faith to new heights. 
I love the examples of just regular people in the scriptures that we can so resonate with. We see Jesus clearly, but we also see the Syrophoenician woman's faith here and the, the deaf man and, and, and man, the, the humility that comes out of these people to go to Jesus. And, and I propose this is one of the things that we can learn from this text that, that we maybe can't learn from other texts that are some, some of the same miracles is that, that Jesus longs for us to have the faith, to have true humility in our lives over the pride and the entitlement that we walk through, walk through our lives with. Notice the lady's response. She begs Jesus for just a crumb from his table and is satisfied with that. Just give me a crumb. compared to our North American mindset of faith. Well, come on, God, I know I have everything I need, but I want more, and, and they have more. Why don't I have more? Why are you answering my prayers like they're answering, you're answering their prayers? And, and like, I'm not satisfied anymore. I got you, God, and, and Jesus is supposed to be my Savior, but isn't he also supposed to be my, like, my like, blessing dispensing machine so that when I can push my buttons and I can get what I want? Like, propels my faith. I don't know about yours because a lot of times my prayers can sound like that rather than like this woman's faith prayers. God, just give me a crumb. Just give me a crumb of your blessing that I, that I can then bless other people. Give me a crumb of blessing that, that I can give you praise and worship that I can Live life not with this you owe me mentality, but I owe you mentality. God, give me true humility to be willing to come to you and no holds barred just to come to you and seek your presence in a way that you're going to show up in a significant way in my life. I think one thing we can learn from this, both people in this these passages are this the fact that we need to learn to grow in humility over entitlement when it comes to Jesus Christ. Pride and entitlement mark our culture. The way the Christian is completely opposite of that. The way the Christian is humility and gratefulness and gratitude. Gratitude ought to mark a Christian more than anything else in our lives. A gratitude for the gospel. Gratitude for what God's given us. Gratitude expressed in worship. Where does worship really start with? Gratitude. With the, I've been given a crumb. I've been given a crumb. Having a hard time worshiping? Find some gratitude for Christ and worship will flow. Jesus' presence propels my faith to new heights. It even propels my faith to new heights in prayer. That word begged in both stories, I had to circle them. I couldn't get past them. I had to circle them. We, we know what begging means, right? We drive by those people in the street corners sometimes. When our kids beg, we're like, get lost. Psh, enough. Go to your room. Enough begging. But Jesus sees begging as a good thing. It shows our dependence upon him. It shows how desperately we need him. I'm not saying that the only prayers that get answered are the passionate pleas of the wild begging. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this. Sometimes I think we've missed out on the glory of God because our prayers are far too mellow and soft and complacent. 
and we give up far too easily with our prayers. And we have a drive-by faith. Come into the drive-thru window. Here's my order. Get to the next one. Where is it? Where is it? Well, I'm out of here. I'm not even paying. Going to go to Burger King. McDonald's is going to be so slow. What happened to the place where God's people begged the Lord for his presence? What happened to the place where, where God's pra- the prayers of God's people never ended and they were so passionate and they were so filled with pleading and they, they, they expressed what's really in our hearts that God, we can't do this without you. If you don't show up, we're done. What happened to those types of prayers in our lives and in our church? Let's be honest, they're basically, they're basically, they basically come when the catastrophes come or when we're not getting the way that we think we should get. But what happens about to these, these kinds of prayers for other people. Notice in, in here that these people aren't asking for them. They're begging for others. What happened to the intercessory prayer, the, the, the type of prayer that I, I need to get to prayer meeting, not for me because somebody else needs my prayers. The intercessory prayers of like, God, God, if, if we don't intercede for them, they, right now they can't intercede for themselves. If I don't intercede for them, they're going to perish. Or they're not going to survive this turmoil. It happened to the prayers of God's people. Does begging look like your prayers? Is your prayer list all about the things that you need from God? Or is it truly interceding for other people? Is your prayer list like your list? Or is it like a list of other people on your prayer list that desperately need the Lord? Well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for you is seeing the power of God working in somebody else to get his son glory. That's what's in it for you. What's in it for you is closer communion to God. But again, again, maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's not about me. Maybe prayer isn't as much about me and God as about God, me interceding for someone else and God working in their lives in drastic, unspeakable ways. And maybe I'm not even getting any credit for it. Who stinking cares? Gotta ask you this. How come, how come eight years into our church, our prayer meeting is the one meeting that's shriveling up when everything else seems to be thriving? Even people who at the beginning of this church would challenge me. You missed a prayer meeting, pastor, in in July. What's going on? And our prayer meeting is dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. And then we're asking the question, why is God not? Why is God not? Maybe it's the preaching. Maybe it's the the staff. Maybe it's the, like, what's, what's wrong? You know what it is? You know what it is? You know what it is. What is it? We're missing out on prayer. Easy to pass by these. Like, it's another miracle. I don't need another miracle. We do need another miracle in our lives. We do need another miracle in our church. We do need another miracle in other people's lives. And it, it starts when we get on our knees and passionately plead for God. God, I need you. We need you. And God, I'm not going to stop praying until we start seeing your answers. If we lose that, folks, we're just going to shrivel up and die. And in 10, 20 years, we're not even going to... We're going to be one of those flash-in-the-pan churches that came and went. And 
Oh, but we're so busy. Yeah, I'm busy too, but are we too busy to pray? Too busy to be passionate about Jesus? I don't know how to pray. Learn to pray. It's like a fishing. I don't know how to like hold my breath. It's like a hot air balloon saying I don't need any hot air. Prayer is the lifeline to Jesus and the life of a Christian in the life of a church. Circle that word begged and ask God, God, teach me how to beg. Give me a heart for others that, that overflows in begging for their lives and begging for their circumstances. God, help me to beg, not for myself, but for your activity in other people's lives. Persistent, prevailing, pounding on the door of heaven prayer is what we need. And the type of prayer that we see here that Jesus responds to. I don't think Jesus was brushing this woman off at all. I think he was teaching the disciples what it means to pray. I think he's going to circle back to this and say, you know what? I wasn't calling her a dog. You know that. I wasn't brushing her off. I did not care. You know that. I want you to see how to really pray for the breakthroughs in your life and other people's lives. What about this one? It teaches us faith. Belief over doubt. Yeah, we're going to get discouraged. Yeah, we're going to get dissuaded, but we fight through. We choose to believe that Jesus is enough and his mercy is enough for us even today. I choose faith today. I choose Jesus today. I choose belief today. God, help me in my unbelief, but I choose belief. I choose belief. God, rekindle belief in my heart. Rekindle hope. Rekindle peace. I choose belief. I choose today Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, as we see the mercy, the compassion and kindness of Jesus, God, I pray that you'd spur us on to have a burden for the lost. I pray, oh God, you'd spur us on to look for Jesus in our everyday mundane, maybe boring lives, that we see Jesus, that you catapult us from this, this life of, of living, saying we're Christians but not looking for Jesus, to a life as saturated with the activity of, of what only you can do in our lives. God, I pray you'd teach us what true humility really is, that we'd be thankful and worshipful people. God, I pray you'd teach us what it really is to pray. I pray you'd give us faith today, God beyond ourselves. Oh God, we pray you'd stir us in some way, in somehow today with the truth of your word. We believe your word is living and it's active. And every word is in the Bible on purpose for our lives. We believe it never returns void regardless of how well or not well the preacher preached or how well I listened how spiritual I am or I'm not today. We believe it's going to change our lives and others for all of eternity. So now God, work. Work in us, work through us. May your word take root and be powerful in Jesus' name.